I believe that we have better ideas. But I also believe that good ideas don't matter if people don't hear them. And one of the issues the Democrats have to be clear on is that given population distribution across the country, um, we have to compete everywhere. We have to show up everywhere. Welcome to Left Road Expansion, everyone. This is your host, Brett Hillsberg. We've already spoken a lot about the systematic disadvantages that Democrats face when fighting for political power in previous episodes. So what we wanted to treat our listeners to today is how the game of politics is played and introduce some of the best players that you might not have ever heard of. In this polarized landscape, Democrats have a tough time recruiting enough split ticket voters that are willing to support them at the same time as a Republican president. Today, we look at three archetypes of Democrats in Congress that currently represent districts that voted for Trump in 2020. Let's start with Representative Jared Golden. Jared Golden is the congressman from Maine's 2nd Congressional District that represents most of the geographic state. It's mostly rural and unpopulated. It's important to know that in the same election where Golden won by six points, Trump carried his district for the presidency by 7.4%. Now, what did Golden do to stand out as a politician to earn some of Trump's voters? Leftward expansion looks into it, and here's what we got. He was very proud of the House passing HR3, which would have helped cap and lower prescription drug costs if it were passed by the Senate and signed into law. This, of course, wasn't signed into law because then-Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell wouldn't allow a vote on the bill. Golden then actually campaigned on this even though the bill failed to become law. He did the job of passing the bill to help lower the cost of prescription drugs and can't be held responsible for what the Republican Senate and Republican president wouldn't do to solve this problem. I wish more Democrats would campaign this way and show people what could become law if they elected Democrats into positions of power up and down the ballot. It's, of course, more effective to be proud of something that had a tangible effect on people's lives, but much better than nothing if you can at least talk about what was passed through the House installed by the opposition-controlled Senate. Another thing that we want to point out is Golden in his advertisements shows someone who identifies with the culture of his district. He's not dressed in a suit, instead a plaid collared shirt. And he's speaking in a field with a pickup truck behind him. Golden is well aware that the people in his district consider many politicians to be quote-unquote elites that don't have their constituents' best interests at heart. He appears with the former chief of the Maine State Police to vouch for him against accusations of wanting to defund the police. Golden's attack ads focus on policy issues like health care and the Affordable Care Act instead of the character of his opponent. Golden is clearly very aware that the National Democrats have a bad reputation in his district due to heavy consumption of conservative media and does everything he can to define himself and what it means to be a Democrat in favorable terms. 
He's betting that people care more about the issues facing their households every day, such as medical costs and drug addiction, than the squabble of everyday national politics and Twitter hashtags. We need more people like that to stand above the fray and remember why they were sent to D.C. by their constituents. This is an example of a Jared Golden for Congress ad. You can listen to yourself how he identifies with the culture of his district. Jared Golden helped keep America safe, serving as a Marine in Afghanistan and Iraq. Now in Congress, he's still focused on serving us. I'm Jared Golden, and in Congress, I'm fighting for you. By standing up to the big drug companies to lower prescription costs for seniors, protecting patients with pre-existing conditions, and delivering the first inpatient substance abuse and mental health facility for veterans here in Maine. I approve this message because I'm honored to serve you. The aesthetics of the ad itself feel very culturally appropriate for Golden's rural district. You've got the acoustic guitar, a lead guitar with a country twang. This is a podcast so you can't see the video, but Golden is dressed in a green button-down shirt. The setting is a field with a pickup truck and a barn behind him. You can see and hear why many of his constituents could vote for Trump but decide Golden is a good congressman that wants the best for his district. The second person that we wanted to bring up on Leftward Expansion is Representative Matt Cartwright. Cartwright is the representative from Pennsylvania's 8th District that represents most of the state's mountainous northeast corner, including Scranton. Trump won this district by 4.4%, yet Cartwright pulled ahead of his Republican opponent by 3.6%. Cartwright supports Medicare for All, higher taxes on the rich, cutting defense spending, gun control, but falls short of supporting the Green New Deal. Instead, Cartwright only supports a cap-and-trade plan. He does identify himself as a progressive. Keeping in mind that Cartwright himself is the product of a successful primary challenge after the Democrat that represented his old district voted no on the Affordable Care Act back in 2012, Cartwright understands the value of standing by the party's work and promises to the American people. I'll let Representative Cartwright take it from here in his own words. How did you win and what did you think other Democrats might have gotten wrong in their bids to pick up House seats? Uh, that second part is a much tougher question, but I can talk about what I did. To persuade the voters that you care about them. You know, every voter uh, sizing up a politician has two questions. Number one, does this politician care about me? And number two, will he or she work hard for me? Uh, if you can establish that, uh, you're so far ahead of the game, and that's before you get to any policy questions or, you know, are you liberal, are you conservative? Uh, if, if they know you care about them, uh, you've answered 80% of their questions. Do you think that maybe some of your fellow Democrats didn't quite establish that? Our party, the Democratic Party, that cares the most about people who are hurting. So my resolve in 2016 and going forward was to redouble my efforts uh, to, to help take care of them and figure out their problems and try to make uh, life work better uh, for, uh, for the kitchen table issues. Uh, butcher, baker, and candlestick maker, uh, the regular working people in, in my district. Uh, and I, the candidates who can figure that out uh, and can bring that home as a message, they're the ones who win. There you go, straight from the horse's mouth. 
Cartwright hits the nail right on the head. If you seem like you genuinely care about the people that you represent, then people will trust you to do the right thing. Be open to questions and explain your point of view to those who ask serious questions about your policy stances. When people point to conspiracy theories, let them know that's all they are and they are debunked. Then explain why you won't be spending any more time on that and respectfully move on to real policy questions. As Cartwright said, it's not about conservative or liberal stances. It's very possible to transcend that if you speak to people in a way that they understand and trust. So many Republicans think that healthcare and education are too expensive in this country. They're just scared of the creeping socialism that they're warned about from the conservative media ecosystem that they live off 24-7. The key here is not to use buzzwords like Medicare for all or free college. You don't have to go into details. Only explain what you want to do and how it will help lower the costs of the most necessary things in American life. Representative Cartwright to me is notable because he shows a good message discipline in strong retail politics. You can overcome not only a strong partisan disadvantage, but it also an ideological one. Democrats need to see examples and success stories like this to know that it is safe to run any good candidates in a red district without them having to quote-unquote moderate their policy stances. Like Jared Golden in the previous example, Cartwright avoids the culture war issues that can energize Republicans and put Democrats at a disadvantage and focuses on the issue that Democrats draw strength from, like healthcare and climate change. Let's be real. Does anybody really think that there are more Americans around the country at the kitchen table talking about abortions and cancel culture than those talking about how they're going to keep up with paying for their insulin make their next mortgage or rent payment because COVID cost them their job, or how they're going to afford their children's college tuition? It's common sense. Let's talk about the things that have the biggest impact to people's everyday lives and talk about reforms that will permanently solve the issue instead of kicking the can down the road. If more left-leaning Democrats want to make inroads to Trump districts, I would strongly advise them to look at what Matt Cartwright is doing and emulate that. Thank you for staying with us so far, and we will get to our third figure right after the break. Stay tuned. The third person that we want to spotlight on leftward expansion is Senator Sherrod Brown. Sherrod Brown is one of the two U.S. senators from Ohio. Although he was not up for re-election in 2020, we definitely wanted to mention him because it's extraordinary that Brown, who is an unapologetic progressive, was able to keep his seat in 2018 as Ohio trends even more red. Brown was last up for re-election in 2018 and won with 53.4% of the vote a healthy 6.8% spread from his Republican opponent that year. In contrast, Trump dominated the state of Ohio by 8.1% in both 2016 and in 2020. That means a fairly large portion of Ohio voters voted for Trump in 2016, Brown in 2018, and then Trump again in 2020. 
Let's dig into how Brown was able to win these Republicans' trust. Senator Sherrod Brown focuses on the issues that pertain to the lower and middle class in Ohio. He wants the government to negotiate on drug prices, develop more infrastructure, create more union jobs, and make education more accessible. These are all issues that affect Republican households and can pique their curiosity before they shut the door in your face just because you're a Democrat. Brown has also touted a middle-class tax cut to relieve families of growing expenses in their everyday lives. Who would say no to that? That would be great for everyday people like you and me. In addition, Brown talks about holding Senate Republicans accountable for their irresponsible legislative agenda of providing a massive tax cut to the rich and using that as an excuse to cut popular programs like Medicare and Social Security. There's also one big policy stance that the media rarely talks about that we can identify as Brown's quote-unquote secret weapon. A lesser-known view within the left wing of the Democratic Party that is held by Senator Sherrod Brown, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren alike is opposition to free trade that ships what were formerly American jobs overseas. In Ohio, a former manufacturing-heavy state, this is the only stance to have if you still want to win an election. I think that one thing that Trump did to correctly feel the pulse of the American people in 2016 was understanding the frustration with American politicians doing absolutely nothing to keep low-skilled manufacturing jobs here in the United States instead of being transferred overseas or to Mexico by corporations that wanted to reduce their labor costs. Trump was able to tap into this anger from communities in the Midwest, left barren after their factory jobs dried up, and that alone propelled him to the presidency. Unfortunately for the Democrats, Trump's Republican Party has already branded themselves with the message that they will bring jobs back from overseas, even though they have done relatively nothing to actually make that happen. National Democrats need to develop a clear and short answer for this problem, or they will have a hard time competing in former manufacturing states moving into the future as the problem worsens. As of now, Democrats' only solution is to mandate that federal, state, and local governments only buy American-made goods and eliminate tax deductions on the expense of shutting down factories that are leaving to go elsewhere. As someone who works in international trade by day, these policies won't make a dent in the jobs being lost to globalization. Labor costs in developing countries are far too low for the American worker to fairly compete. However, we can empower American workers to go to school at affordable rates to receive skills that can land these workers higher paying positions and a more secure line of work. More forward-thinking political minds can also work up a small business program where the federal or state government can buy equity in startup businesses so the business owners don't have to take out small business loans and employees can enroll in public health care options like Medicare so they don't leave themselves or their families vulnerable to a medical emergency. Obviously, the cost of something like this would be huge at first, but over time... Maybe one or more of these businesses, 
and become the next Amazon, and the profits from these successful investments can either exceed or cancel out the investments on many losses. The primary benefit here will be the revival of American innovation and growth in local job opportunities. Point is, outsourcing and globalization is a tough problem, but it is solvable. Democrats must give people the opportunity that they need to work themselves out of feeling trapped in a dying community because they can't afford housing for work elsewhere or an education to gain new skills. This is what the party needs to do if they want to take back their reputation as the party of the working people. I'll let Senator Sherrod Brown himself explain his theory on how Democrats can use the integrity of work to find a path to true and lasting political power. What do you think made your win so convincing? As a progressive well, I, Democrat. Yeah, as a progressive Democrat, and you can you can fight for workers and respect the dignity of work, as I do, and, and fight for workers, whether you punch a clock or swipe a badge or work for a salary or work for tips or whether you're caring for an aging parent or, or raising children. Uh, I respect the dignity of work. I think that's what Washington forgets about. And uh, voters, voters will vote for a strong progressive uh, who I don't compromise on civil rights. I don't compromise on LBGTQ rights uh, or worker, worker rights. Uh, and you can do that and stand up for what you believe. And I think Ohio showed that on Tuesday. I think Senator Brown hits on a good point here. If Democrats can successfully reduce the cost of education in the U.S. and pass a minimum wage increase, they will be putting the tools of success in regular people's hands that they can then do what they'd like with because the average American deserves the chance to see real success. I believe this is a strong argument that is more powerful than the spooky specter of socialism that the GOP and their media ecosystem constantly touts as the greatest threat to American individualism. I truly hope that the Democratic Party takes Sherrod Brown's offer to use his campaign as a blueprint to run candidates in redder districts around the country. Clearly, he's doing something right to be elected three terms in a very Trumpy state. So let's conclude the podcast with a summary of what we've learned or can learn from Congressman Golden and Cartwright, as well as Senator Sherrod Brown. One, be proud of what you've done and campaign on it. Everyone knows when the next election is coming around and you have to know the biggest problems that plague your constituents. Do something for as many of those problems as possible in Congress and bring that home to your district. It would be ideal if the bill that you're campaigning on is passed by both houses of Congress and signed into law. But even if not, Dems should still campaign on it, making sure the bill becomes law as soon as possible. Correctly blaming the National Republicans on their lack of action as well. The more voters that have their eyes open to the true bad faith of the National Republican Party, the better. Two, always stay on message with your constituents in their own language and don't bring home the petty day-to-day political news cycle unless it's something major that affects or shines a spotlight on your home district. Trust us, they do not care about the latest potato head controversy, and they are more worried about how to pay their bills or support their children. 3. Understand and conform to the culture of your district. Every region of the U.S. is different, and it's important in campaigns 
that voters see a little bit of themselves in the representatives that they send to Washington. Speak like them, dress like them, and understand their cultural values. Even if you may disagree with the majority of them on policy, stand firm on why you believe what you believe, and don't commit the cardinal sin of trying to play both sides on tough issues. It has never worked and will never work. Everyone has a political interest in their life, whether they realize it or not. Part of a politician's job is to identify that issue, whether it be lower costs on healthcare or education, support for victims of the opioid epidemic, an increase in the minimum wage, or something else that they can help with politically. Whatever it is, find it, take that to Washington, and fight like hell for it so your constituents can see what you are doing on their dime. 4. Develop an answer for Republicans on trade and holding outsourcing corporations accountable for the loss of so many American jobs over the years. Republican-leaning rural areas were hit drastically harder by outsourcing than Democratic-leaning cities that are still filled with opportunity. Pitch them a better future that they could have under a strong Democratic Congress that cares about everyone in this country as opposed to just the ultra-wealthy that received a massive tax cut under Republicans in 2017. American workers who lost their jobs due to outsourcing can have their health care expenses taken care of under a stronger health care law. They would be able to go to school to gain new skills without burying themselves in student debt. They may also be able to venture into their own dreams of opening up a new business and employing local workers. That's great for everybody. One thing that we should not do is lie to these people and tell them that their manufacturing jobs are coming back. The U.S. worker, even at the current minimum wage of $7.25 an hour, just cannot compete and wouldn't want to compete with the average worker from China or Vietnam. There are other ways to give these people who are rendered unemployed due to no fault of their own a way out of poverty. And I think the Democratic Party should capitalize on every single one of those opportunities. Thank you so much for listening to Leftward Expansion. That's our show for today. I'm Brett Hillsberg. Please rate and review our show on any of the podcasting apps that you are using. We very much appreciate all of your time. Thank you so much. <music>